grace to you and peace from God the Father, from God the Son, from God the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text for our meditation is taken from that short epistle reading in its entirety, reading only the first couple verses. Brethren, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the text for our consideration this day. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, amen. I'm sure you have all been told in the past by your parents or maybe others of this little saying, be careful when you pick your friends. You know, the saying goes that we cannot pick our relatives, we're stuck with them. And I guess that goes along with in-laws too. But you can pick your friends. And that's, in a sense, what Paul is writing to the Philippians here. His fellow beloved in Christ Jesus, fellow Christians, and he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, that close-knit bunch of apostles are the followers of Christ. He says, watch us imitate us. Be careful. Be careful in this life. And this this has wide implications when you think about it in our own life on how we go about choosing our companions. We know how weak we are and how quick we pick up bad habits. It's so quick and we know how weak our resistance is when temptation falls in our lap. If you hang out with a bunch that has loose standards and no morals, you too will soon be like them. That's because of our flesh. We have lost the ability to resist. We may put up a struggle. We may flounder like a fish on the land, but we will soon succumb to their ways. And Paul is emphasizing not just this morality, That's probably what your parents were concerned about or maybe very close older friends. They were concerned that you would not get in trouble with the law, you would not develop loose morals and thus have to suffer the consequences the rest of your life because of them. But Paul is really concerned with the imitation of his life. His life was one of repentance and of faith. His life was devoted to God and the worship of His Son and the proclamation of His Son. Paul was very concerned about the spiritual ramifications of relationships. And it should be. We should all be very concerned of that. Paul writes in his other epistles, he warns about being unequally yoked. In other words, don't be married to an unbeliever. He knows the strains that puts upon a marriage. 
And oftentimes the unbeliever throws up their hands and says, I can't take it anymore, have it your way. And they abandon their church. They abandon their faith in the vain hope that that will bring peace to the relationship and happiness. But it doesn't. It never does. You see, the devil is never satisfied. When he gets an inch, he truly wants a yard. He's always wanting more until he has your very soul in the entirety of his grasp. Paul warns, pick your companionships carefully. Watch who you imitate. Be careful. For in this life we deal with the, the weakness of the flesh, but we live with the hope. We live with that hope, that living, lasting, God-breathing hope that our Savior Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming to redeem His people, to, buy, to gather His people. The redemption's done, but He's coming to gather His people up and to bring us into that perfect peace of eternal paradise. He's coming. Be careful who you walk with that you might be ready on that day. Be alert. Be watchful. And be at peace. Now Paul, he says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of Christ. See, there's two big differences now between the groups of people that we can imitate or that we can follow. Paul is stressing that he follow, we follow him and the apostles who followed Christ. For you see, when we follow Christ, it's not just a here-now thing. It's not this immediate gratification. No, because in this life we suffer a lot of stress because of Christ. We suffer affliction, no question about it. Persecution of varying degrees, ridicule, abuse, all these things. These are part of the life, and we look to the future for the fulfillment, for the fulfillment of the Savior's return. However, on the other hand, as Paul stresses, he says, I tell you, even with tears, these other people, they walk as enemies of Christ. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. You see, that's a, that's a wonderful description of today's world. How people want that instant gratification. They want to be satisfied now, not tomorrow, but right now. And they're proud of it. We deserve it. How many times don't you hear that in advertisements? You deserve it. Hogwash. We don't deserve any of that things. We deserve nothing. But by the grace of God, we're given much. No, you see, when they, they appeal to the weakness of the flesh, today is the day for them. Today is the day to feast. It's to be merry. It's to drink. It's to be rowdy. For that's where happiness is found. Paul lays out a clear distinction that those who live 
and breathe Jesus Christ. They have a solid hope that Jesus Christ is coming back. We take Christ at his word that he will return in glory, not in the humility of the past, but he will return with the fullness of his glory. The world which rejects Jesus Christ and therefore are enemies of Christ want their satisfaction today. It's more than for morals that we should be careful in choosing our friends, our companions. No, it's for the very welfare of our soul, the very well-being of the inmost part of ourselves. Our relationship with God is at stake. Christ is worth it. Christ is worth everything that we would give up for the relationship with Jesus. He's worth it all. He came to take our burden. He took our greatest burden, that of sin, of failure. He took that, took all the blame, he called it his own, and died for it. So that today we can walk without that blame and without that burden of punishment that awaits in the future. We walk free. We are free to worship Jesus. We are free to believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of life because he has freed our soul from the trap that the devil had sprung upon us. Now Paul says, don't step in that trap again. Watch yourselves. He contrasts the difference between the world lovers and those who desire heaven. In these simple words, he describes those who love the world and love this instant gratification business. They, he says they're in this destruction. Their stomach rules their life. That's all they worry about. Glory is their very shame. They take pride in the things they do that repel and repulse God. We don't need to list the examples. Just look at the newspapers, listen to the broadcasts, and you'll see that. How the very most despicable things that go on, they hold up is, look at here, aren't they sweet? Yuck. Please pass the washcloth. No, Paul says, our citizenship, in contrast to them, our citizenship, Remember, we are but strangers here. We are nomads in this life. He says our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're citizens of heaven, if this is truly your homeland, that will direct all your decisions. It's going to have a great influence on what you do and how you act in life. It'll have a great effect upon your children and your friends. If your mind is focused upon Jesus Christ, the God of God and Lord of Lords, the God who has redeemed us, we live for him because he died for us. Paul says there's a big difference. Now he says... In, in, about this Jesus, he says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, unfortunately, in our preaching, oftentimes uh, what we say is not what is heard and is certainly not what is understood. Uh, we, we preach the evils of the flesh, the decadence of the flesh, the inability of the flesh to do this and that, and that's true. The flesh is weak. Where the spirit is willing, the flesh cannot do. You see, our body has been taken. It was taken from us. That is a will. And we are helpless in and of our own body. But God has given us a new life. He's given us a new birth. And our bodies should not be degraded. We should not cast our our bodies upside as though they are worthless. No, remember what God said when he created man. It is very good. It was the pinnacle of his creation, the creation of human form. Our bodies are very special with God, and they will be raised on that last day. Your body and my body we will be raised in the flesh without all of the hindrances that we carry around today. I'm not even going to walk stooped over anymore. I don't think so, unless everybody else does, then I'll fit right in. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. You, you look me up and we'll talk it over someday. But he says now, this Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Remember, Jesus Christ was crucified and laid in the tomb in human form. He was a man, a human, but he was God. He was raised human and God. He was raised the same person, but glorified. No longer was this veil over him that hid his divineness, his divine abilities, but here the fullness of God shone forth. And you see, we will be laid in the tomb too with our flesh, but that doesn't make our flesh worthless. No, because Jesus Christ is going to raise us. And then he, the text tells us he will transform this body so it is like his glorious body, the body that he brought forth from the tomb. The verb for this, which I am not going to speak in the Greek because it's, it's like reading uh, a medicine bottle. And you know what some of them drugs are like, you know, they run out of room. They have to put a hyphen there and come around a second time to, and, and nobody can pronounce them. That is, human can pronounce them. Oh, doctors and nurses fake it, and they, you know, uh, yeah, okay, I'll buy that, you know. But no, nobody can really pronounce it, and I can't pronounce this word either, but I can read it. Anyway, the word for transformation, it will change the appearance, but not the substance. And then he emphasizes that to be like his glorious body. He reminds us, we're still going to be in our body, but we're going to be 
changed. I brought something along this morning, a remnant from last fall. By the way, we had a stupendous potato crop, so now we're still eating potatoes. This is a common spud. I think all of you, probably even from the way in the back, can recognize it as a spud. You know, it's got dents where the eyes are and all that, and then the back where the stem was and all of this, you know. We know what a potato is. Now, if I'd run that through one of those fancy-dancy uh, stomper, dicer, masher, slicers that you hear on TV for $19.99, and if you call in the next 10 minutes, I'll make sure you get two of them. If you run that through there and you end up with all these little pieces and then you throw it into a bunch of hot oil and shh, sparkles and crackles and everything and you take it out and dump it in a basket and let the oil drip out, you have french fries, right? It's still a potato though, isn't it? But it's a cooked potato. And most of us in this country, we could recognize immediately, oh yeah, that's, that's french fries, that's a potato. Been cooked in hot grease. Yeah. What changed? Well, its appearance certainly changed, didn't it? How would you like to reassemble those French fries into the shape of the original potato? That'd be kind of tough, wouldn't it? Or maybe you just simply slice a potato and then you fry it up that way. It's still a potato. You can put it in the oven and bake it, and it's still a potato. You see, the appearance changes, but not the substance. It's still potato. And this is a picture of what Paul is telling us. Take care of your body today. Because it's the same body that God is going to raise on that last day. It's the same body, but it's not going to have imperfections. It's going to be a glorious body like the body of our Lord Jesus Christ who will transform. That is, he is going to change the appearance, but he will not destroy the substance. And he's going to do so by that same power that enabled him to subject everything to himself. All creation will bow before him. God will exert a power the world has never seen when he transforms all of us saints into his presence. And glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And as Paul closes, he says, Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand in this way in the Lord. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes our human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.